I need to go to the gym more. No. So Michael keeps telling me that. Hey, what a wonderful day, isn't it, to celebrate somebody coming to know the Lord? What is so amazing is you have a mom that comes to know the Lord, starts praying for her daughter, and then to see her come to know the Lord. I mean, what an amazing thing. And I just love talking to Carrie. One of the things that we did was, you know, I really like talking to people who are just coming to know the Lord. And sometimes people grow up in church, so you kind of know what to say. What I think is really awesome are when people who don't know what to say, kind of intuitively, like they gravitate toward saying the things that are spiritually true even though they don't necessarily know the words to put them in. And uh, some of the verses that me and Carrie went over, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man, every one of us is a sinner, and every one of us is in trouble (laughs) with God because of that. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. And then the amazing thing, the second half of Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is our only hope. He is the reason that we are forgiven. He is the reason that we are right with God. And then you think about John 3.16. We all have that memorized, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And seeing Carrie come to the place that she realizes she's a sinner, Jesus is her only hope, and that she put her faith in Jesus. And uh, one of the other things that I think is really cool is just Carrie <laughs> looking at her life and going, man, my life without Christ is a mess. And the other part of being a Christian is 2 Corinthians 5.17. In Christ, you are a new creature. Old things have passed away and new things have come. And the fact that her life is transformed, but it is also being transformed. And that is just such an awesome thing that we, as a church family, get to come alongside everybody who is a believer, especially when we see new people come to know the Lord, and to walk alongside them and help them grow and encourage them and help them along the way and see them come to maturity. Man, what, a, what an incredible blessing. So this morning, we're going to be digging into God's word. Hey, we have a little bit of break, of a break, <laughs> maybe. We have a little bit of break this week. Hey, hasn't it, hasn't it been kind of heavy recently in 1 Corinthians? Um, we're going to get heavy again next week. But, um, but this week, we get a little bit of a break because to my knowledge, nobody in church is suing anyone. So, uh, you know, the other things we've been talking about, man, they touch every single one of us all the time. And uh, it's kind of nice, you know, I, I've, uh, often when people preach on 1 Corinthians 5 that we just spent three weeks in, it's because there's an issue in the church. It's because they, they're about to discipline somebody. They're about to remove somebody from their midst. So they go preach on that passage to explain what they're doing. It's kind of nice to just preach through the Bible and just address what's next. And uh, that we get to talk about lawsuits. Um, and Christians suing each other. Anybody here suing anyone else here? <laughs> Just don't raise your hand. Uh, so, uh, you know, this passage, the title is Rather Be Wronged. Uh, another way to say that is don't sue other Christians. Um, 
Some people feel like that's not a very big deal. About 30 years ago, I'm in a church, and the elder of my church files a lawsuit against another church in town. And the reason that he filed this lawsuit is he was an electrical contractor, and they hired him to build this big building. And so he did this big building, and along the way, um, there was a lot of change orders, and it ended up being really significant. And at the end, he submits a bill for all the things that they changed from the original blueprints to when they finished the project. And the church said, yeah, we don't know that. We're not paying that. And so basically what happened was, you know, he's just relaying what's happening. And he's like, you know, this, this completely is destroying my life, my business, because I owe all the wholesale places for the material. I have a bunch of people that work for me that I have to pay. And it was so much money that he went out of business. He had to refinance his house and pull a bunch of money out of his house to go pay all these things. And there's a church and the leadership in that church just saying, yeah, we don't owe you that. So um, he went and said, hey, can we go to some kind of mediation and see if we can work this out to have this deal work and, and to do what is right and to do what is fair. And that church just said, no, we're the elders. We are the ones who oversee things. We decide what is right and wrong. And we've decided that we're right and you're wrong. And he's like, well, yeah, but it's about you. Can we get a third party to help us work this out? And they said no. So he filed a lawsuit. And uh, they responded to him with this passage. And they said, the Bible says, don't sue other Christians. You should rather be wronged than to sue us. And he said, the Bible says we shouldn't have lawsuits against other Christians you should rather be wronged than us go to court and you should give me the money that I'm asking for. So they're each reading this passage and they're each thinking about how it applies to the other person. So often when you think about lawsuits within the church, sometimes we can feel like, oh, that's unimportant. It's not actually going to affect anybody. There's never going to be a time that this passage is going to personally impact me. But one of the things that we need to think about is we actually as believers are responsible to know everything that the Bible says and we are supposed to be applying that in our life and we may not be facing a lawsuit today but tomorrow next month next year something like this could happen and so it's important for us to understand and so really when you think about this if I was to summarize this whole passage I really would summarize it with, um, with one verse. It's first, or, well, not one verse, one passage. How's that? There's three verses up there. First uh, Corinthians 10, 31 to 33 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything. I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. The number one thing in life is God's glory, not your financial well-being, not what makes you happy. Like if you're married and you're struggling in your marriage, the number one thing is what brings God glory, not what makes me happy. 
whatever you're facing in your life, the main concern is God's glory. And God's made that clear in the moment of salvation. Anybody who comes after me must, must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. If you love your mother, father, brother, sisters more than me, you are not worthy of me. If you love your own life more than you love me, you are not worthy of me. So as Christians, <laughs> what do we do? We come to Christ and we just do exactly what he, what he says. God, you are God. You are, have the right to tell me what to do. Have you heard this before? God, you have the right to tell me what to do, so whatever you say, I'll do. God, you know everything, so everything that you say is best. And the third thing is I know you're good, so ultimately everything is in my best interest. That's, that's the starting place of being a Christian. You're God, I'm not God. And we live our life for God's glory. Now that's kind of hard to do. And so Jesus gives us this passage through the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Do you know how our mind is transformed? Like we grow up hearing Satan's lies. We grow up practicing living in rebellion against God. There are so many people who call themselves Christians and they live in disobedience to God. There are churches with pastors and religious leaders that get up and encourage people to disregard what the Bible says. And they personally live out disobedience to God. And there are spiritual leaders. Which is why in this church and for every single Christian, we are thankful for our leaders. We love hearing our leaders. Uh, we give respect and honor to people who stand up and teach us, but we sit there with our Bible open, and we always ask ourselves, is what this guy's saying, is it in here? <laughs> I've had a lot of people tell me, you're too hard on people, you, you're too narrow, and I always just say, well, okay, I just got one question for you, what I said, was it in the Bible or not? Because if it wasn't, disregard it. But if what I'm saying to you is actually what God says, then you better be very careful not to disregard what is said. Because it's actually what I think doesn't matter, but what God thinks matters. So we're going to consider uh, basically some reasons that we as Christians should not sue each other. And uh, that's what we're going to consider today. And so let's read this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to read verse 1 through 8. None of this will have anything to do with any of you. This is your break this week. Okay, I'm kidding, but it is kind of a break. Uh, let's read this. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, you are, are you incompetent to try trivial, trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you 
wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers. But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Um, Man, that is a powerful passage. And just in case I forget, this is what happened with that case. Is because there was a lawsuit, the church agreed to bring in a third party to mediate. And so what it came down to is they didn't end up before unbelievers to decide their case. They ended up in front of an outside believing organization that helped people resolve disputes. And what I thought was interesting is at the end of that deal, that elder did not get everything he was asking for. Some outside people looked at it and said, no, they don't owe you as much as you are saying they owe you. But the church who thought they owed nothing, they told that church, here's the dollar amount that you need to pay. And so when all was said and done, that's what happened. And so these are real life things. They do touch us. And I can just tell you there are so many people who they will approach this passage. I mean, it's nice. Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Let's obey God. As long as he's not telling, as long as what he's saying doesn't actually impact me. But the moment they find themselves in a situation where their financial future is potentially devastated, all of a sudden they start singing a different tune. But the bottom line is that doing what God says is always the best and right thing. So uh, first of all, why should we not sue unbelievers? This passage, this point will come as a shock to you. (laughs) Because God says not to. That's why. Um, It says here, when one of you has a grievance, and actually just reading this whole passage, you cannot get out of these eight verses without understanding that God is saying, if you are a Christian, you don't sue another Christian. You don't take your difficulty. You don't take the thing that you misunderstand, this problem that you're having. You're saying, you're sinning against me, and another person saying, no, you're sinning against me. You don't go stand before an unbeliever and say, we're two Christians. We follow Christ. We obey everything in the Bible, and we can't solve our dispute. Will you help us? Like, think about that. Is that, like, insane? Like, let's put that in a spiritual perspective. A couple angels are having a a dispute. So they go to Satan, and they say, hey, Satan, can you help us work this out? Like, what a contradiction. In fact, uh, it just says this in... 1 Corinthians 6.1, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of saints? I mean, Paul's just saying, how dare you even think about doing this? Like, this is a very strong (laughs) instruction that Christians don't sue each other. You know, it's so amazing to me how many people read the Bible. They read the things that the Bible clearly says, and then they just disregard it. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about sexual purity in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about what the Bible says about a bunch of things. 
And um, do you have any idea how many people say, oh, yeah, no, I'm a Christian? How many people go to church and just disregard everything that God says about sexual purity? Oh, that, that was for a long time ago. Uh, for me today, uh, today it's different. How many people disregard what God says about marriage? How many people disregard what God says about priorities? And this just says, how dare you go to law before the unrighteous instead of saints? Now, when he says unrighteous, he's not saying that every earthly judge is corrupt. You know, there are some really good non-Christian judges. Like, I, I see, like, court cases sometimes. I watch things, and I see unbelieving judges doing amazingly wise good things. So this is not a comment about whether or not judges are corrupt. This is actually a description of our world view. How do we see people? Because everybody who's not a Christian is unrighteous. Everybody who's not a Christian is under the power of Satan. Everybody who is not a Christian thinks with polluted thinking. That is just how the world is. If you don't know Christ, you are a slave to sin. You have rejected God's wisdom. That is true of everyone. And saints, those are people who have come to know Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 says you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made you alive. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that you have the Holy Spirit in you to lead you to truth. When you read the Bible, you know what's true. The Holy Spirit is bearing witness to you. You just, you read it and you just go, I know that's true. Now, there's a ton of people that are religious leaders. There are a ton of people who go to Christian churches. And the reason that they ignore what the Bible says is because they are not spiritually regenerated. And it's crazy because there's a lot of really nice people who know a lot of things about the Bible. And then they stand up in front of people and they live a disobedient life and they encourage people to disregard what God says. And then it's crazy because you have people who are genuinely saved who look at these religious leaders who are not saved. Bible talks about in Jude how people creep into the church unnoticed. Bible talks about false teachers who they start teaching things that will tickle people's ears and make them happy. They tell people what they want to hear. And those are false teachers. And uh, what's sad is you get genuine Christians sitting around going, yeah, nobody actually around here does what God says. In fact, I went to this divorce group. And uh, in this divorce group, I met somebody that I moved in with that I'm not married to. It's like you go to church to find somebody to live a wicked, sinful life with. And that kind of thing can just seem normal. And it's like, this just says, no, whatever God says is true. Look at this. The purpose of the church. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's what just happened this morning. Baptism is an expression of salvation. It's what happens when someone gets saved. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Ever think about that? So the church has to tell you what God says. 
bunch of churches don't do that. Christians and parents are supposed to be teaching their kids and teaching each other what God says. You can't obey it if you don't know what it says. But then we don't just say, hey, God says this, but don't bother doing it. We say, this is what God says, and this is how you do it. The church teaches people to obey. Here's how you do it, and actually, you're supposed to do it. Um, you know, <laughs> I would think that isn't too confusing, except if you look around. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll get to this. Know anybody who says they're a Christian and marries an unbeliever? Nobody, you know anybody who says they're a Christian lives in sex, sexual immorality? Know anybody who says they're a Christian, but they live a life that is in rebellion against God? You ever seen that in church? You ever seen a, a church leader look at something in Scripture and kind of disregard it? Because if any of those things are true, then that's why we have to <laughs> emphasize this. That is not what God intends. Have you read the Old Testament during the period of Judges and just said, man, it's so crazy. You get this guy who promises to kill the first thing he sees, and it's his daughter. Like, what's he going to do here? Or you get some guy who's married and can't have kids, and so he says to his wife, uh, get me your handmaid, and then has a bunch of kids by her. And you're just thinking, who does that? I can't get pregnant. Husband, there's the lady who cleans our house. Why don't we have some kids using her? Like, have you ever read stuff in the, in the Bible and just thought to yourself, what kind of insanity is this? Because if you read the Bible, you'll realize we are not the first generation that read what God said and disregarded it. We're not the first generation. And that's the cool thing about reading the whole Bible is that we read it and we go, oh, yeah, that's how it turns out for people who just blow God off bad idea. I don't want to be that person. And instead we say, no, the people who wholeheartedly obeyed God no matter what, that's who I want to be. Like Daniel, right? Daniel goes into Babylon. They bring all these Jewish teenagers. And Daniel says, I'm not going to eat the food that the king is telling me I'm supposed to eat because God says I'm not supposed to eat that. Where were the rest of the Jewish kids to say, I'm not going to disobey God. Because they all just ate what they were told to eat. You know, that's why they went to Babylon, because <laughs> the entire nation was in the habit of just not doing what God said. And so God says, I'm sending Nebuchadnezzar to punish you. And so if we read the Bible, we realize <laughs> whatever God says, we do. And I don't care how many of our Christian friends tells me to blow God off. I'm not doing it. Um, this is what uh, Isaiah 66 says. Hope this is an encouragement to you. This is God. But this is the one to whom I will look. God looking at you means he regards you. It means his hand of protection and guidance is on you. Uh, that's a special relationship between you and God. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Humble just says, God, you're in charge, not me. God, you know more than I do. I'm not the smartest one in the room. Contrite means I do things wrong, and God, forgive me. 
I, I realize that I'm fallen. I need your grace and mercy. And what is it that you say? I will tremble at that. I will have reverence for that. I will do exactly what you tell me to do. Hey, that's been the last three weeks, right? How do we get involved in the lives of people who are struggling with sin? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, not too hard. For, I'm not doing that. Forget that. Or we just read the Bible and it's like, well, actually, that's kind of what it says. So that's what I should do. Um, so he's just saying, how dare you? <laughs> Why don't we sue unbelievers? Because God told us not to. Number two, because believers have God's wisdom. Believers have God's wisdom. You know, Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. You want to know what the habit of the church is? The habit of the church is to view the world and say, if you got a PhD by your name, I care more about what you say than what God says. When I'm struggling with my marriage, if my marriage struggles are minor, I'll talk to my Christian friends. If they are minor, I will go to the leaders in my church. But if I got a serious marriage problem, I got to go to a non-Christian counselor with a PhD. By the way, what does the Bible say about these people? The non-Christian counselors with PhDs? They are sinful people. They're people who have rejected God. If they hadn't done that, they, wouldn't be, they would be Christians. And so we're going to go sit before the unbelieving world. This principle about the fact that believers have God's wisdom, that is not just about lawsuits. That is about everything in life. You have any idea how many people go sit in front of a non-Christian or a Christian counselor that will tell them that it's okay to disregard what God says. If you go to a Christian counselor who tells you that it's okay to disobey scripture, that is not a Christian counselor. And how many people do that? Well, I don't know, a bunch of people. And do you know how you can tell? Look at their life. It is a disaster. It is a mess. Take parenting advice from people who disregard God, but look at them and just say, how'd that turn out for you? How, how is it that we have people who in their life, they disregard God, they have the destruction of disobedience, and yet we take advice from them? Why? Well, we, di we disregard verses like this. Believers have God's wisdom. Let's read this. 1 Corinthians 6.2. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? So this is Paul saying, live up to who you are in Christ. Live like a Christian. During the, when Jesus comes back, we are going to come back with him. And the Bible talks about how the uh, apostles are going to judge the 12 tribes of Israel and how we are going to share in ruling the world. Who are we going to rule? Well, that's a study of the millennium for us to look about what happens on earth. But God is going to allow us to judge the world. We're going to share in his leadership of the world, those of us who are believers. And he's saying, if you're going to judge with Christ, you can't handle these trivial things like whatever this dispute was between this elder and that church trivial earthly things the outcome I'm just telling you 
I am not saying it wasn't significant. I'm not saying it didn't feel significant to the church or that it didn't feel significant to him. I'm just telling you it's trivial. And if you read the Bible, you realize it's trivial. And he's just saying you can't resolve these trivial things. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? That is a confusing verse. It's the only time in the Bible it says anything about us judging angels. So if you want to know, well, what does the Bible teach about that? I just read it. (laughs) We're going to judge angels. I don't even really know what that means or how that would work or what in the world we would even judge angels about. So if you, uh, uh, how much more about judging angels than matters pertaining to this life? Like what kind of a dispute could angels have? And how would we go about resolving that? And Paul's just saying, if you're going to be involved in that, you can't handle these earthly things. And then he goes on, if you have such cases, this is verse 4. I just want to tell you this. Verse 4 is a very challenging verse to translate in Greek, and it could mean two things. And either of the things it means has the same outcome. I'll, I'll show you what those are. But here's how the ESV renders it. So if you have such trivial, if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? So we're going to judge the world. We're going to judge angels. Um, here are two ways that this, this verse could be translated, and I'm going to tell you what they both could mean. The first one, this is the New Living Translation. It's kind of the same as the ESV. Um, If you have legal disputes about such matters, why do you go to outside judges who are not respected by the church? Just saying unbelievers don't tell us how to live. Christians tell us how to live. That's one way to translate this. There's another one. And this is the NIV 1984 version. The newest revision of the NIV has changed their rendering of this, so it's actually the same as the ESV. But it's therefore, if you have disputes about such matters... Appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. You know what he says? You got disputes? Find the dumbest Christian in your group (laughs) and ask them to resolve this for you. Like that's, so that's an option. He's either saying, don't go to people outside that we don't respect, or he's saying, even the dumbest Christian can solve this problem. So the, the point of that verse, like those are two different ways to render it. But the point of that is (laughs) don't resolve things outside the church. Resolve them in the church. Isn't that nice? Even when we struggle to understand uh, certain things and we're wrestling through which way should we render this, the practical application is very clear. So um, God has given us everything that we need. Do you remember uh, Philippians 2, Yudia and Sintichi? So these two ladies heavily involved in ministry, serving alongside the Apostle Paul, were having a conflict and they couldn't resolve it. Paul speaks of these two ladies very highly. He says they're having a problem, they can't resolve it. So he writes to the pastor of the church and he says, you go help them. Sometimes we need help. You know, it's kind of fun in our family. Uh, We help each other. I don't know what we did yesterday. I'm not going to tell any details. <laughs> no, no, don't get scared if you're in my family. You want to know what we did yesterday? We're hanging out. 
And we actually just talked about, um, hey, what are you fighting about in your marriage? What kind of disagreements are you having? And, um, and actually people having conflict are saying, hey, we're fighting about this. This is what we're fighting about. What do you think? Who do you think's right? You know, there's plenty of times me and Michelle are having conflicts, and I'm pretty convinced she's wrong. She's pretty convinced I'm wrong. And sometimes we've actually grabbed our kids and said, hey, what do you guys think? Like, who's, who's missing something here? And you know what's really cool is often in the family they'll say, well, I think you're missing this. I think you're missing this. Kind of like that elder in that church. Didn't turn out how ev- either of them thought it should turn out. And so for us to just sit around, we're just, we love each other. We care about each other. <laughs> we're not hiding stuff. We're not ashamed of stuff. We're bringing other people into our stuff. You know, uh, Michelle and I, we used to go to this marriage Bible study. I think we should have one in this church. It was like a marriage builder's Bible study, and every time we went to it, and every time we got assigned homework, um, it was so fun because we'd be in this marriage Bible study, and everybody would show up and say, yeah, the homework got us into a fight. It was kind of nice because (laughs) Michelle and I used to get in a fight every week when we were trying to do the homework, and we're like, this is supposed to be building our marriage, not tearing it apart. But then it was nice to show up, and everybody else was having the same problems. And I thought about it later. I'm like, these are actually probably good things for us to be talking about. Because a lot of people just have these problems. They never work them out. They never resolve them. They just kind of push them off. They drift apart. Next thing you know, their life's coming apart. And, um, and sometimes we need wisdom from the outside because we don't see everything in the right way. And we need help, just like Yudia and Sintichi. Um, Psalm 119, 97 through 104. It's what this says. You want to know why? the church has wisdom to be able to help people. The first one second, is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14 through 16. We have the Holy Spirit in us that guides us to truth. Second thing is we have a whole Bible that's written to tell us how we're supposed to think. Like Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This elder should have been saying about this church, I actually care more about your well-being than mine. And the church should have been saying to this elder, I actually care more about your well-being than mine. The Bible tells us actually how we're supposed to think about stuff. It gives us the Holy Spirit to help us. And it also gives us the Bible. Psalm 119.97, let me read it to you. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Carrie said meditation today. You know what meditation is? It's not sitting there and emptying your mind and seeing what falls in. Meditation is to read God's word and then to think about what does this say? What does this mean? How do I apply this? That's meditation. Um, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it's ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. If you're a Christian going to college, just read the Bible and meditate on it. You're smarter than anybody standing up in front, unless they also do that. I understand more than the aged. Hey, life brings experience and wisdom, right? I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. Even the ignorance of youth, if you read the Bible, is better than what you can learn by living a long life. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I don't turn aside from your rules. 
For you are the one who has taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Um, God's word makes us wiser than any unbeliever. Do you want to know why the church is so full of foolishness and ignorance? Do you want to know why you can come to church and just watch all kinds of people living in disregard of God? Because there's tons of churches that don't actually teach the Bible. There are tons of Christians that go throughout their week and they don't read what it says. And they don't take it to heart. They'd rather read some self-help book or go to church where somebody says a bunch of things they like. And the reason that churches are not better than what many of them are, the reason our lives are not better than our lives are is because we're not reading, reverencing, and obeying what God says. So God's given us everything that we need. And you know what? There are really uh, serious things. People are depressed. There are significant issues in that. People are struggling in their marriage. They have major issues. People have all kinds of incredible, serious, personal problems. And I'm just telling you right now that somebody who doesn't care about you, somebody who just throws some Bible verse at you, they treat it like it's superstitious. Somebody who just is like religious and uncaring, that's not the help we need. And for you to say, that's terrible. I don't like Christians that just throw verses at me. Let me go find some non-Christians who will be sensitive to me while they tell me all the wrong things. Instead, we find people who love God's word, who love people, who have suffered in their life, who have gone through things in their life, and who will tell us what God says is true, and who will encourage us, and who will help us. That's who we go find. And um, hey, I thought we were talking about lawsuits. Okay, so this is true of lawsuits, but it's true of actually a whole bunch of other things too. And then here's the third thing. We don't sue people because it's a greater loss to have unbelievers settle our disputes than it is actually any loss we could face in the midst of our disputes. You know, 1 Corinthians 6.6 6 says, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. To have a lawsuit at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you, you yourselves wrong and defa- defraud even your own brothers. You know, think about that. Um, preach the gospel, right? Preach the gospel to your unbelieving judge who lives next door. Hey, you're, you're smart. You got a big house. A lot of things are going well for you. But I'm just telling you, you need Jesus in your life. You need to be forgiven. You need God's grace and mercy. You need your life transformed. So tell him that on Monday. And then Tuesday, go stand before that same unbelieving judge with your Christian friend from church who says that is a lying swindler who doesn't care about me. He's ripping me off, trying to bill me what I don't shouldn't shouldn't be billed, and then to have you sit there and say about this other person, man, they they asked me to do all this work. I did all this work. They're willing to destroy me 
to, in order to save some money. And they're saying they're doing it to try to be good stewards of their church money while they rip me off and put me in a place where I'm going to lose my house and lose my business. Man, those people are evil and bad and terrible. Tell them to give me what they should give me. How do you think that impacts your next door neighbor who's a judge? Yeah, I want to come to Christ. I think I'd like to come to your church. And he's just saying, what matters? Remember that verse we opened the service with? Do all for the glory of God. And then the very last sentence is, so that people might be saved. Man, uh, salvation, eternity is so much more important than anything in this life. And he just says, man, you're demonstrating that you actually care more about yourself than others. You care more about your earthly well-being than somebody else's eternal destiny. You are somebody who is actually wronging and defrauding. Do you know to wrong and defraud a Christian is so far away from what God tells Christians to be? Like, what if I could write a contract and get another Christian to sign it? I was like, man, this is awesome. This is really in my favor. This is so good. And they signed it. They promised to do this. But I'm thinking to myself, I'd never sign that contract. But, hey, they did. They made a commitment. They promised to do it. So, hey, I, I gave it to them. I told them. Instead of saying to a, your fellow believer, writing a contract that you'd be happy signing on the other end. And even if they're not going to catch the mess they're putting themselves in, you actually care more about their well-being than your own well-being. See, that's how God says don't defraud. He's not just saying don't defraud people. He's saying care more about others than you care about yourself. You know, Matthew chapter 39, verse 42, you read this in Luke 2, uh, Luke chapter 6, but it just says, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, do not resist the one who's evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your coat also. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you. Don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. Like that's a whole different thing of don't steal from people. Like that's a way higher standard. And in Luke chapter 6, he says this. Because God's kind to his enemies. And when you're good to your enemies, you are sons of your father in heaven. Why do we act like this? Because this is how God acts. And we're supposed to be Christians that act like God acts. I'm going to end with this. Two things. Number one, God holds your future in your hands. You know that elder lost everything? You want to know who decides how much money he has? God. You, that church that was trying to steal money from this guy? Do you want to know who decides how much money that church has? I'm going to read you something from Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. For verse 17, in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men, they lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. For such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. If you steal from somebody... Whatever you stole is poison. You think, oh, man, I got all this money. This is so wonderful. God will destroy you from steal for stealing from someone else. I think accountability in church is awesome. You could not 
If you put a gun to my head, make me steal money from the church. And it's not because of you, and it's not because some judge might put me in jail. It's because God is watching. I'm not stealing something that will destroy me. Would you defraud another person? That is insanity. I think about that when I'm selling a car. I had this truck, Toyota truck. I put it up for sale, and I got so many calls. And the first guy came, and I just told him, hey, you can have this truck if you want, but it's a Toyota truck. These things run amazing, except for mine. Um, my timing chain keeps breaking. I've never heard of a timing chain that breaks. And I spent so much money fixing it, and it's making a sound that it made <laughs> right before the timing chain broke. And he listened to it, and he goes, no, these Toyotas are fine. You're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. And I said, no, seriously, listen. You hear that sound? I just want you to know it's a good deal for the truck. I priced it low with this in consideration. But I said, I just want you to know it could be this year, it could be in five years, but this is going out is what it's going to cost you. I, every time I sell a car, I tell people everything I can think of that's wrong with it. I will never defraud somebody for the price of a car. And yet how many people just hope nobody notices? Um, man, I'm not stealing from anybody. Um, how about 1 Kings 17, Elijah and, ah and Ahab? So Elijah prays and it doesn't rain, so there's famine everywhere. And then Elijah is starving. Everybody else is starving. And there's no food anywhere. And God tells Elijah, go find this widow in Zarephath and ask her for some food. I've told her to feed you. So he goes up to this widow and he says to her, give me some food. And she says, I can't give you food. I have enough bread and enough oil to make one cake of bread. And then me and my kid are going to eat this cake and then we're going to die. And Elijah says, no, don't eat it. Give it to me. And God's going to take care of you. So you want to know what this lady does? She makes that bread. She gives it to Elijah. And then she has this little thing of flour and this little thing of oil. And throughout the entire famine, every time she tipped that bread thing up, the thing flour came out. <laughs> and she just got some flour, and then the next day she got more flour. It was like this unending supply of flour. And she had this unending supply of oil. And every time she poured it, oil came out. God controls what we have and what we don't have. Nobody can steal from you. Nobody can kill you. Somebody can take what you have, and God can give it back in a different way. God can provide for you no matter what. And so when we live life thinking that we hold life in our hands, it makes it harder to obey God. When we just say, God, if you want me bankrupt, you want me to lose my house, you want me to lose my business, I know you have something else good for me and in a different way you'll provide for me. Or you'll just restore whatever I need to be in business. But the number one thing in my life is not to do some math calculation to figure out what's better for me. My number one thing in life is to just do what you say to do. So um, this was super light, super different than our other messages. Um, it's nice none of us are suing each other. But isn't what God says awesome? And we need to be encouraged. We need people to appeal to us and say, 
trust God, not yourself. That's the message here. Love God more than you love yourself. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for all the things that you tell us. Help us to be people that just no matter what, we obey you. Lord, help us to be people that are reading the Bible, learning all the things you want us to learn from it. Lord, wholeheartedly loving you, wholeheartedly loving each other, encouraging, supporting one another, being each other's biggest fan, um, helping each other. God, help us to be the most loving, faithful church family that we can be in your name. Amen.